out and we are going to be looking at the book of Galatians as we continue in this series. We started the series a couple of weeks ago and then took a little bit of a hiatus because of Easter um, and now we're going to jump uh, right back into it this morning. And so uh, Galatians is near the end of your Bible there and again uh, it's in the New Testament. It's one of the smaller letters of the book and um, if you have a Bible and you don't know exactly where to find it, I'll said this before, I'll say it again. There's a thing at the beginning of your Bible called the Table of Contents. Look it up. It's okay. You can do that. Um, if you have a phone, great. You know, really easy. Galatians goes right there. Uh, I want to start off this morning uh, in the message by showing you a graphic that I think for me, in many ways, kind of sets the tone, uh, sets the uh, give some perspective as to uh, the book of Galatians and its theme of freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, this graphic may not do you any good, but at least you'll have a nice picture to look at if it doesn't. Maybe. So here's the graphic. Um, the philosopher Plato, um, sharing a story or an observation he made of his teacher Socrates. And Socrates, we really, the only reason why we know of Socrates as much as we do is because Plato was his student and Plato wrote extensively about Socrates. Well, Socrates gave an analogy. It's oftentimes called the cave analogy. And he shared this analogy with a student of his in order to illustrate the idea and the difference between reality and illusion, between knowledge and belief. Uh, and so here is the analogy. And this was kind of a condition in which Socrates saw that difference between what is real and what is not. And this cave analogy is very simple, and it's this. In a cave, there are people. Uh, as you can see, there are several groups of people. And in this cave, there is a fire at kind of near the beginning of the cave, kind of elevated, as you can see. Now, behind or in front of that fire is a wall and on the other side of the wall are individuals who are chained to that wall. All they can do is look at what's in front of them. That's all they can see. They can't see anywhere else except what's in front of them. They can't see behind them because there's a wall there. They can't see anywhere else because they are chained to that wall. Their entire existence and interpretation of the world that they are living in is exclusively found in what they can see in front of them. And all they can see is what is being shown in them between the fire and the wall. And you see individuals there holding up little objects like a horse or a bird or a circle or a pot. And all they see are silhouettes of those objects, but not the real or actual object, objects themselves. That's their existence. Now, Socrates goes on and he says this. Now, imagine if a person was able to be freed, and that's what you see. There's a person who's climbing out of the cave and able to go up, and that's another person up out of the cave, and to actually see the world as it is. To actually go up there and to actually see the sun, to feel its warmth, to feel the wind, to not only hear the birds, but to actually see what birds look like, to see the sky in all of its splendor. There are oftentimes two responses Socrates shares to an individual who has been finally freed to see life in all of its glory. 
oftentimes one of two responses. The one response is that individual goes back down into the cave to tell those who are still chained to the wall, you will not believe this, but a bird that we've known to what a bird is, it's not true. A bird is like this. Or to go down there and say, everything you've known about what, it, what a pottery looks like is not true. Here's what pottery actually looks like. Everything that you thought you knew about what the sky was is not true. Here's what the sky really looks like. And oftentimes, chances are, those individuals listening to that person will have either two responses. One is, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. That is not true. This is what's true. Or number two is, I want to get freed. Show me. I want to see this with my very own eyes. That's one response. The person out of the cave goes back in to tell others about it. Here's the second response. Is the person out of the cave goes back in because sensory overload, they can't deal with the freedom. They want to go back in to what was familiar. To what they have always known. To go back in to that bondage. The reality is that because of the gospel... For those of us who know Jesus Christ, we are now free. We are now free. We're out of the cave. We are out of the cave because of the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, the best I can do, and there are many forms, many ideas, uh, not ideas, but rather descriptions of the gospel shared in the New Testament. I love this one, John 3.16. It's simple. Everyone knows it. For God, so what? Loved the world. I love that. If you want to know why... Jesus came. It was because God so loved the world. The motivation of Jesus coming is the same motivation we ought to have towards serving others. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will what? Not die, but rather... You guys are good. Man! Finally, a pastor is like proud to say, man, they know the scriptures. There's nothing better than that. Man, I tell you, it's like a child who learns to walk. No, not really. Um, <laughs> nothing like that. Because uh, after a while, you're like, yeah, you're walking. Oh, no, you're walking. <laughs> right? I loved it when you didn't move. <laughs> so, kind of thing. He, let me say this. This kind of freedom in Paul really describes it this way in 2 Corinthians. And I love this. Listen to these words in what he shares when he writes about this freedom we now have and what it looks like for us. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. All right? But their minds, their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Basically what Paul is writing is that up until Jesus Christ, we would read from the Old Testament 
and we would understand that Old Testament. But here's the thing, as when Moses would go meet with God, because when you met with God face to face, you did not come back unchanged. And Moses would come back, and he would be glowing. Glowing. And people would be like, whoa, Moses. Whoa, hey man, put a veil on. Too bright. Too bright, too bright, too bright. Here's the thing, though, with, with Moses' you know, unbelievable shine, if you will. It would wear off. It wouldn't last. Because what we find in the Old Testament wasn't meant to be permanent. It was not the end of the story. It rather was the beginning of the story. The end of the story is what we find in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. In that everything that the Old Testament points to is now fulfilled in the New Testament and in the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, what Paul writes now, and he goes on to this day, and this is the other part of it. He says this, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, here it is, the veil is taken away. And I love this next verse. Listen to this. Now, the, the, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, guess what? There is freedom, liberty. Sing it out. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Why? Because we know the end of the story. We know everything that the Old Testament shared and all the promises that are based there are now fulfilled. We know the Gospel is here. And we are free because of it. And it says this, verse 18, Paul ends, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Let me say this. All that to say is this. Every single one of us who know Jesus Christ, we are glowing And guess what? That shine doesn't go away. It doesn't fade at all. In fact, let me just say this. Dare I say this? You all look beautiful today. You are glowing. You ever ever notice that? And it's beautiful. You are glowing because we all are reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. And that glory never fades. Think about that. Every one of us are reflecting and glowing Jesus Christ. That when people should dare look at us, they would say, wow, you look a lot like Jesus. Have you ever had someone say that to you? You look a lot like your mother or you look a lot like your father. I look a lot like neither of them. Seriously. I'd rather look like my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, who I never met. I'm a spitting image of him. He was a good-looking guy. That was a test. Really? Come on now. A little love here. Come on. Be Jesus. Be Jesus. Help me glow. Help me glow, church. Oh, the cycle. Right here, I was proud of you, and now I'm just... No, I'm just... All in, all in a few minutes here. Here's the thing. We have freedom, but freedom is fleeting, or it can be. This is the flip side, is that like those in the cave, we struggle sometimes with those freedoms. For whatever reason, we kind of like these chains. 
we kind of like the weight of them. We kind of like how they look. We kind of like how they feel. We kind of like how they are constricted. We kind of like how the fact they are very predictable and that when we have chains on us, we know where we can go and where we can't go. When we have chains on us, we know what we can do and what we can't do. When we have chains on us, we know our position. The problem is, and the sad reality is, is that for all of us who have experienced the freedom in Christ, it's really hard. Because chances are we might miss these chains. We might miss those things that we have been freed from at times, those unhealthy relationships, those addictions, those things that we used to do in the past that while we thought was fun, we knew was absolutely dangerous and wrong. We sometimes miss the chains. And sometimes, as a result, we want to go back into the cave. Maybe you know people who have found freedom in Jesus Christ only at the end to turn back and go back into the cave and it breaks our hearts. It breaks our hearts to see them go back into this cave in which they had been freed from, to see life in all of its glory, and now to go back into a reality in which it's silhouettes and darkness and not the full truth. And they actually are willing to put these chains back on themselves and to sit by that wall and live the rest of their lives that way. Here's another reason why freedom is so hard is because there are people who want to add things to our freedom. There are people who can't stand the fact that we have freedom and they say, well, 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 wait a minute. Actually, to be free, you really have to not only do that, but do this. In order to be free, you've got to not only do Jesus, but then you've got to do Jesus and this. Right? You've got to do all of these things because that's what it is. Right? We have a saying here at Summit Ridge that we haven't said it for a while now, but we have said it often, and it's Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus plus nothing. But, but we say that, but really, if we're honest about it, no, no, that, that just doesn't settle with us. It's got to be Jesus plus something else. No, 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 it's Jesus plus doing something good for others. Oh, it's Jesus plus being a member of a certain political party. It's, it's Jesus plus pro-life. It's Jesus plus being creationist. It's Jesus plus, am I ruffling feathers yet? It's Jesus plus, oh, whatever it is we think it should be. You know, I, I struggle. I understand those struggles. And that was shown no more than just these past year if not the past several months in which we have defined people as followers of Jesus by the certain ways that they vote, by the certain ways that they believe in certain social issues and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that as a Christian, I understand my views and understanding my views on social issues. And I agree with many, not all, of those social issues. But at the end of the day, that's not what defines a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet we love these chains. If I'm going to wear them, you're going to wear them. 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 Because misery loves company. Misery loves company. Right? 
And so if I've got to wear these chains, you're going to wear these chains. And if I'm really honest about it, guess what? It's none of those things. And the issues that I have with people who don't necessarily believe what I believe, but yet our followers of Jesus Christ, we do things like, well, you know, it's got to be fruit of the Spirit, right? They've got to bear fruit. If those people are bearing, but the fruit that we want them to bear is not the fruit that the scripture shares they ought to bear. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, which we'll get to eventually, but I'm going to give you a little preview. For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I might have missed one in there. I did, huh? Thanks. <laughs> right? You get the idea. It's not the fruit of the Spirit is pro-life creationist. Republican, all of that stuff. That's not it. Just isn't. It just isn't. So really, my issue with others who are Christ followers and they don't exactly fit into the image that I have for them, that's my issue, not theirs. And ultimately, I need to take that to Jesus Christ because if he wanted that to be what it takes to be a follower, he would have put it in there. Oh, we love these chains. If I've got to wear them, you've got to wear them too. Right? Are you with me, church? Now, here's the thing. Apostle Paul was writing to these churches, multiple churches, in the region of Galatia, which is now in modern-day Turkey, to address those very things that would rob him as well as them of their freedom in Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, Pastor Eric shared with us one of those things, and that was people-pleasing. That one of the things that can rob us of our freedom is to please other people. To try to make sure other people are happy. Let me just say this right up front, and we know this truth, but it's got to be said, there is no way we can make everyone happy. But you know what? It doesn't stop us, because you know what? I want to be liked. And I think many of us do too. Let me just say this as your pastor. My job, even though I try as I admit it, I try as hard as I could, I want to make you all happy. Why not? I want to be liked. I want the accolades. I want the, oh, pastor, you are so good. Oh, pastor, you are wonderful. The, pa- the, the messages you give are fantastic. Thank you so much for teaching that stomach group. Oh, pastor, it's just wonderful. Of course, inside me, I'm going, oh, please stop. Oh, please just, just stop this. Just stop this right now, right? Oh, love the accolades. There is nothing, by the way, I can do to make you all happy. And I'm not going to try. I'm working on that. I am going to, if I have not already, give it time. I will disappoint you. If I haven't done so already, I will make you angry. If I haven't done so already, I will do something that maybe you will not necessarily trust me. Because hopefully the decisions I am trying to make are not ones in which everyone will be happy because that's an elusive goal and impossible to try to achieve. But secondly, because it may not match up with Scripture, it may not match up with what's best for the church, it may not be honoring to Jesus Christ, and in the long run, not honoring to you. And it's hard. But people-pleasing can rob us of our freedom, can put those chains on, because we want to be liked. See, Paul was writing to address these things, because the churches in this region of Galatia 
were being threatened by a small group of people who were saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are not truly free yet. But they are, and they were. Today, we're going to look at another thing that robs us of our freedom. And it's interesting, someone once said this, men and women fight for freedom, and then they begin to accumulate laws to take it away from themselves. We do the same thing in our relationship with Jesus, don't we? We become free in Jesus, and then we create things to try to take that freedom away. That's what Paul was dealing with here in Galatia. To the churches that he planted, to the churches he knew, to the people he ministered to and shared the gospel with, that a group of people would come in after him and try to rob them of the freedom they now had in Jesus Christ. And Paul would have none of that. He comes out swinging in this letter. He comes out swinging. He doesn't mince words and he will not mince words at all because freedom is on the line. And this is absolutely important to Paul. So this morning we're going to look at another thing that can rob us of our freedom. And I titled today's message, Freedom Robbers Number 2, Identity Theft. That there will be people, if it's not people, even our own selves, that will try to convince you and I that we are not true followers of Jesus. That our identity in Jesus is false. It is not what we think it is. That to be a true follower of Jesus, we have to do this. Or we have to do that. And Paul addresses it today. And what I hope that we will see as Paul addresses this is two things we can do, at least from what we see here in this passage. It's not the only two things, but it's at least two things I can see from this passage today that we can do to not let others or even our own thoughts try to steal away our identity in Jesus Christ. Two things. And that's what we're going to look at today. The first thing, I'm going to jump right in, is this. We want to maintain our identity in Jesus Christ. We need to do the following. We need to share our story. Here's what I mean by this. Let's take a look at what Paul writes here. In Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. And he says this right off the bat. And I'm going to read all the way through to verse 24. I may stop here and there as I normally do. But we're going to read the whole passage right now. For I would have you know, brethren, that is brothers and sisters, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Look what he says right away. The gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will never die but have life eternal. That gospel, that gospel did not come from any human being. No human being could have dreamt up that message. None. Paul knows it, and he wants to make sure the churches he's writing to knows it. And he says this, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's sharing his story. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. Now he's talking about what his life was like pre-Jesus. How I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral tradition. Oh, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he used to say. No one, chances are, knew the law as well as Paul did. 
Paul excelled at everything. He excelled in class. He excelled in practice. And he excelled in persecution. For anybody who was outside of that. Those three things. He was the chief persecutor among Christians. To go out there and persecute those who believed in Jesus. Who would dare to go against the Jewish faith. And he says this. Verse 15, but, and I love that word, but, because anything before it now is what? Canceled out in favor of everything that comes after it. Here's what comes after it. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. In other words, when Jesus Christ encountered, or rather when Paul encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and Jesus called then Saul, which by the way, that's his Jewish name. Paul is his Gentile name. He didn't lose Saul in favor of Paul. He just uses Paul because he's going to the Gentiles. That's all that happened there. He is all of a sudden now told by Jesus, you will now go to the Gentiles. By the way, I shared this with our young adult group, Bible study, for so for those of you who are in that study, this is kind of review. Remember, after Paul encountered Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus, he was go- told to go see Ananias, right? Guess what street? Even down to the street Jesus told him to go to, where Ananias lived. You know what the street name was? Even had names of the streets. Straight Street. Oh. That's not by accident. Paul was going to get his life straightened out on Straight Street. He was going to get some things sorted out. He was in the cave. He came out of it. Time to set your life straight. That's the story, Paul. is, And he sits there and says, guess what? I didn't immediately go to another person to consult with them. Nor did I go to Jerusalem, he says in verse 17, to those who were apostles before me. He didn't go to Peter. He didn't go to James. He didn't go to John. Or the rest of them who knew Jesus personally, walked with Jesus, was with Jesus, witnessed his crucifixion as well as his resurrection. Did not go to them either immediately. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus, a changed man. One who was now no longer persecuting the church, but now promoting the church. One who no longer saw Jesus Christ as an enemy, but now as one to follow and to embrace. That's Paul's story. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. Finally, three years later, to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Do you get a sense here that Paul was being attacked? There were those who were preaching in these churches saying, Paul's conversion, Paul's now following Jesus Christ is not fully legit. It's not real. They were trying to steal his identity. And in response, he shares his story. He shares his story. And he finally, in doing so, ends with this. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing he, will, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. That's Paul's story. He shares it. 
He shares it because it's a powerful story. And let me just say this. You know what the most powerful thing about that story is? Is not necessarily the events that took place, although those were pretty cool events. I mean, seeing Jesus, being called by Jesus. Those are really, really significant things. But that's not, in my opinion, the most powerful thing about this story. The most powerful thing about this story is Paul once persecuted the church, now is a lover of the church and of Jesus Christ. Paul, who once went after anybody who was against the Jewish faith, now was promoting that very thing that he saw as a threat to the Jewish faith. In other words, the most powerful aspect of this story that Paul shares is the fact that his life, his heart was changed. Brothers and sisters today, you and I who know Jesus Christ, we have a story. We have a story of how we came to know Jesus. And sometimes I think we get a little intimidated, maybe a little shy about sharing that story because we think it's not a good story. Brothers and sisters, a changed life is never a bad story. A transformed life is never a bad story. It's got to be shared. And you have that story. It's like the person coming out of the cave saying, Holy cow, I've seen life. This is unbelievable. And you can't help but run back down and tell everyone. Let me tell you something. I am free. Let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you the difference it's made in my life. That's Jesus and the gospel. And never be ashamed to tell your story because your story is that of a changed life and a changed heart. Never be ashamed of it. Never be ashamed of sharing that story. Ever. That's our story. Like Paul's story. There is a before Jesus and there is an after Jesus. And we need to share it. We need to share that story. Here's the second thing we can do. It's not enough just to share the story, but it's more importantly also to do this. Live into your story. Live into your story. When Paul shares this to the church in Galatia, or the churches rather in Galatia, he is not only sharing the story, but he has lived this story. He has owned this story. This is his story and no one else's. And he is not changing it to make other people feel happy or to meet their obligations or standards of what it meant for them to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul lives this story and we need to live our story. We need to live into this story of Jesus saving us, freeing us, and giving us new life. That's what we need to do. It's interesting. I love what Paul says here as he shares, and he shares this story several times in different aspects of his story, of his life with Jesus Christ. But one that's really interesting to me. Let me read this to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 and following. He says this. And I'm going to start at the last part of verse 21. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. Who says these things? Paul. I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. That is in the ocean. I have been 
on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Who wants to follow Jesus? What I find so interesting is that sometimes we frame following Jesus as this wonderful, beautiful, safe, great life. And the reality is, is there's no guarantee of that. Jesus may put us in a really, really difficult life, but the reality is that's okay. Because we've got to live into the story. We've got to live into the story. We have to own it. Sometimes I think we hide the bad parts of our story, afraid that we might scare people off. Paul is out there blatant about it. This is really tough. Live into your story. Live into your story. And he goes on and he says this, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, rather, I will boast of what pertains to my weaknesses. Paul shares his story and he lives into his story warts and all. The good and the bad. The ugly. All of it. You and I, we need to live into our story. Jesus Christ saved us. Jesus Christ freed us. Let's live into that freedom. Let's be honest about what that is. Freedom is hard. We are still struggling to be free. It's not always going to be easy. But by the grace and strength of Jesus Christ, we will be free. We will be free. It's going to happen. It has already happened. We haven't fully realized it yet, but it has already happened. These two things, I think, are powerful ways in which to stop others who may want to say to us, you're not really a follower of Jesus, to rob us of our identity. Here's why. Your story, my story, are crucial to who we are in Jesus Christ. If we don't share it, and more importantly, if we don't live into it, then we run the risk of losing our identity in Jesus Christ. So let me say this to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. You have a beautiful story. I know you do. Because Jesus changed your life. You have a beautiful story. A story in which you finally encountered the love of Jesus Christ. And instead of rejecting that love, you embraced Him. And let me just say to those of us who might still be in chains who might still be in that cave, who might still be interpreting things by a veil over our eyes, over our lives, over our hearts. Your story is not yet finished. Hear me on this. Your story is still being written. And you get to decide the ending. You get to decide the ending. How many of you have ever did those choose-your-own-adventure books? You remember those things? Right? You had to make a choice. You know, depend. I love those books. You know why? Two reasons why. First of all, they were really, really easy to read. I wasn't a big reader back then. Really short. But secondly, they were kind of cool because you wanted to find out. How many of us cheated before we made the decision? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, I did too. 
I'm right with you. Let me just say this. You get to choose the ending of your story. And here's the thing. For those of you who do not yet know Jesus, I want to encourage you, embrace Him. Come out of the cave. See life for how it really is. Let these chains be broken. Let these chains be broken. Let Jesus free you. And let the ending of your story be, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once hated Jesus and the things of this, and that He stood for, but now I love Him. I once saw life this way, but now I'm free. I'm forgiven. And now I know I will be with Him for eternity. That's a good story. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for the fact that you have, for lack of a better word, Jesus, that you have grafted our stories into your story for those of us who know you, that we are free. Jesus, help us to stay that way. Whether with pressures we put on ourselves and or pressures that others put on us to say we're not truly free or this is what we need to, do, need to do to be free, Jesus, I pray that we would remember our story. I pray that we would remember our story of what it was like before you and now what it's like after with you. Jesus, I pray for anyone here who may not yet know you and still is wearing chains. I pray, Jesus, that today would be the day that they would choose to come out of that cave. That they would choose to follow you, Jesus. And I pray, Jesus, they would see life truly through your eyes for how it really is. And see you and have that glory shine. A glory that will never fade. Because, Jesus, as we celebrated last week, we are still living in the reality this week and here on out. You are alive. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.